0: Greetings in the name of Jesus. I find it interesting. It used to be that my children were known by my wife and I, but the tide is turning. I'm introduced as the father of Kim. Either they are growing up and older or I'm growing old. Might be a little bit of both. Turn with me to Matthew 13. It was mentioned this morning, I think it was Brother Luke mentioned, if I'm taking this verse out of context I'm not sure we can do that God is so big that he can say a lot of things in one verse and we can apply what he says to our situation to our current need treasures old and new We find that phrase in verse 52 of Matthew 13, treasures old and new. I think you would agree with me that the word of God is a treasure. The word of God, the written word of God is a treasure and we understand Jesus is also the word of God. But the printed word is a treasure. And I wanna invite us this morning to look for treasures within the treasure. There are lots of treasures in the scripture. So the word of God is a treasure. And then there's treasures within the treasure. Matthew 13, Jesus was giving parables. He gave the parable of the sower. After he gave that parable, the disciples asked him in verse 10 and 11, The disciples said, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So Jesus spoke in parables. So the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven can be made known to his children. He says the others won't catch on. They will not be able to discern these mysteries the mysteries of the kingdom. Verse 16 says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. He's talking about those that don't believe their ears are closed, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes are closed, Uh, their heart is hardened, they can't understand But yours, your eyes are blessed because they see. Your ears are blessed because they hear. Let's look at verse 44 through 52. It's a lot more. Jesus talked about the tares. He talked about the mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of God is, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that soweth. Verse 44, and again the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field the which when a man has found he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field. This man finds his treasure and he sells everything. He liquidates everything he has and he uses that money to buy that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. This was a merchant. He found a valuable pearl. And he put so much value on that pearl, he liquidated everything and he went out and purchased that pearl kingdom of heaven is like has anyone here in the valley found the treasure sold everything and pursued that treasure is your land for sale if there's a treasure on there and a neighbor would know that treasure and he would liquidate everything that he has to buy that acreage Think with me, first of all, what time do you normally dismiss? 11.30? All right, thank you. Think with me, the kingdom of heaven, there is so much value, the kingdom of, I'm sorry, the children of God do things that appear strange to the children of this world. And we should, not intentionally, but because that's who we are, we should. It doesn't make sense that somebody sells their business and moves to Haiti, especially if there's gang members or if there's gangs there that are active. It doesn't make sense to not uh, seize the opportunity to expand your business. There's opportunity. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Well, because... I'm a child of the king and that's not my interest and that's gonna hinder my walk with God. We need to keep reading it. 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come Forth, and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. I asked Lauren if you have lots of household auctions down here. Maybe you have garage sales or yard sales or whatever. And the householder goes in and he digs up these treasures, some new and some old. By the way, old, especially if they're antique, there's lots of value there. And new is value as well. Think about the scriptures. They are ever new. I like to say... They are fresh again and again. We can read the same scripture how many times and we get fresh inspiration. It's applicable today. It was 10 years ago, but it is applicable today. Treasures, new and old, fresh and again. They both have value. 1 Corinthians 2.9 Eye has not seen nor ear heard neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. It says, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard what God has prepared for us, for those that love him. But the Spirit has revealed it to us, the deep things of God. The hidden things of his word, they're revealed to us by his spirit. There are mysteries in the scripture. There are secrets in the scripture. Ephesians talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. The unsearchable riches, the mystery, the manifold wisdom are hid in the scriptures. Manifold could mean multifarious, it means all embracing. It means wide shining. Back to what I mentioned in the beginning: Can we take it out of con- can we take scripture out of context? God's word is multifaceted. In other words, God can make one statement. I'm sorry, God can make many statements with one verse. Psalm 22: David is penning. He is writing his experience. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him if he shall delight in him. David, that was David's experience. He wrote those words. And you understand, we can apply it. It was a prophecy of Jesus. God can say more than one thing by saying one thing. It has been said that there are verses in the scripture that have seven facets to it. Uh, Literally, you can take the verse and interpret it in seven different ways, and it's still truth. Jewish scholars aren't that generous they say it's seven times seven. In other words, they do not limit God to what he can say with the scripture. That's the that's pretty much the, the point of that. A number of years ago, um, I was assigned to the study of the tabernacle and I was intrigued with the colors and the items and uh, the numbers. They have they have symbols, symbolisms and yeah, the measurements and the numbers and the colors and, and, uh, um, and the actual items. I have a whole list here of 14 different numbers, but I'm just going to use a few of them. Four literally means the ends of the earth or the four corners of the earth. Five, means grace, six means man. It's the human weakness of man. Think about it. Six is the number before seven, short of perfection. That intrigued me. Six is the number of man, seven is perfection, and six is just short of it. 10 is completeness, 40 is testing, and there, there's many more, but I won't. I won't go into those others. When Jesus fed the multitudes, we're looking for treasures. When Jesus fed the multitudes, was he saying more than what we see? Turn with me to Matthew 16. It's just real close to where you were, if you're still open at Matthew 13. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's warning them about the Pharisees. Verse 6, verse 7, it says, They reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because they have brought, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets he took up? neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets ye took up. How is it that ye do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Jesus took five loaves and fed 5,000 and he had 12 baskets left over. Is he saying more than what you heard? Five thousand, five loaves, five thousand, twelve left over. I think an interpretation could be there's grace enough for the tribes of the whole whole earth. Did I give you the number twelve? Twelve means the government or the twelve tribes of Israel, uh, the twelve apostles. It means earth, the government. Five, grace enough, and he fed five thousand. Why did he? Why does the scripture say 5,000? Let's look at the next one. Seven loaves, 4,000. And seven baskets left over. What's he saying? Perfect provision for the four corners of the earth. Maybe. It says 4,000 men, not counting the women and children. Why didn't the writer total them all up? I think he's saying something. Dig for those treasures that are ever fresh and new. The Hebrew language is also full of treasures. Are there any Hebrew scholars here? I don't profess myself to be an expert, but I enjoy the Hebrew language. No, I'm safe to to go into it. (laughs) Genesis 7 19. There's a verse describing it's not Noah's flood, it's God's flood in Noah's days. It says, the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. That word exceeding is actually just a one word translation from two Hebrew words mayot, mayot. The mayot means of highest quality or degree, and especially if it's repeated, so it's repeated in the scriptures. Meot meot, and it means to the highest quality. It means to the utmost. Intensive. Genesis seventeen six. God is talking to Abr- Abram. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and the kings shall come out of thee. Same words, mayot mayot. I will make you exceeding fruitful, and nations will come out of thee. I will make nations of thee. We had the opportunity to to travel to Israel, and we had a Jewish guide, and he would teach us a Hebrew word. He was making a point, and I think I have the words written down at home. Well, I know Mary does. In her notebook but uh i'm not going to give you any word but he taught us a hebrew word and then he would use the english language to describe what this hebrew word means and he would exhaust the Hebrew. i'm sorry he would exhaust the english language after he's done with describing this hebrew word what it means he says and even much more than that that's the hebrew language that i'm talking about and it's beautiful It has been said that the Hebrew language came directly from God. It contains secrets that are preserved only for the initiated. In other words, only God knows some of the meaning that is in the Hebrew language. It contains the precise plan of the principles of creation. I don't know, I feel bad for those of you that are sitting back there so far back, but I I have the Hebrew letters along, or at least a few of them, and the first one is a yut. It is just a little, a little, um, what do you call it? A little alphabet, a little, <clears throat> I had Lauren uh, zoom in on it a little bit, but that's, that's the yut. That is the First, um, it's the smallest letter. And this letter you will find on on all of the other Hebrew letters. This is a part of all the other Hebrew letters. It symbolizes the point of movement, and it's also where the point of light comes from. It's, it's, you think of creation when you read all the descriptions of this letter, yut. It is hung on all the other letters. Its numerical value is 10, completeness. We also have three other letters. I, ha, I need to go through here rapidly. It's called Three Mother Letters. And the the simplest way to describe it is I was thinking of, let's say in the English language you would take the letter I. You would take the letter I, and you can turn the I into a V. You can turn the I into an N. You can turn the I into an M, right? Just add to it. So the the mother letters are similar to that. This is the... Make sure that I don't get... Confused. This is the alif. This is the first letter of the alphabet, alif. And you can see the yut is here. This actually is a stretch out, it's a limousine of the, of the yut. And down here, this alphabet didn't do justice to it, but this could also, and some um, some of the writings, yeah, they have an extra twists, and yeah, maybe you'd call it calligraphy. But yeah, this one could also be a yut. Um, That is Aleph. It is the first of the mother letters. And what's interesting, this one is actually uh, va, and it's the sixth letter. It's the letter of man, the sixth letter. So this is man sandwiched in between the yuts. And I would like to think of Yut as, as the origin or God. It actually does. It uh, symbolizes power. It symbolizes stability. In Genesis, if you look at the verses in Genesis, Yut is written all over it. It says, God created the heaven and the earth. God saw everything that he made. It was good. Behold, it was very good. Uh, the ground... And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to decide, good for food, tree of life, was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was unity, there was power, there was stability there in creation. I think you would agree with that. That was God's testimony. Everything was good, very good. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew language. Tau, T-A-U, Tau is the last one, similar to Alpha and Omega. Alpha and make are more familiar with us, but that's a, that's the a Greek alphabet. <clears throat> the very last letter would in, would um, picture the perfection of creation. And if you think about it, creation, Aleph is creation, Ta is the perfection of creation, which is the furthest... Well, the furthest development of, of creation also. In Revelation I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first earth, for the first earth was passed away. That describes the last letter. And Matthew talks about one jot or tittle. Not one jot or tittle will pass away, right? And think about it. And some of the Hebrew letters, all you have to do is add a dot and it changes it one shot or diddle. I think it can mean the law that God has put in place, it will be fulfilled. But I think it also can mean the, the alphabet. Every little marking on every letter uh, is there for a purpose. I told you the first letter, Aleph, the first mother letter, Aleph is creation. The second one is is this one men m-e-m it's a 13, 13th letter i don't know what that stands for uh i don't want to uh, force it i have my ideas but the, it's simple is water the first one is creation the second one is water god said to noah the end of all flesh is before me the earth is filled with violence Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I will bring a flood of waters and destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in earth shall die. Aleph symbolizes creation. Mem symbolizes water. Then we have the the next one, which is shin, shin or sin. Does anyone want to suggest what the symbol of this letter is? Shin. I actually think, trying to think if I read somewhere, but it's fire. The first one is creation, the second one is water, the third one is fire. You read that in Peter. There's the three yachts sitting on top of, on the tip of, of every one of them. We could turn to Peter. Well, I will. I will read Peter Peter 3, because it's interesting. He mentions creation, he mentions the flood, and he mentions fire. 2 Peter 3, starting at verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. There it is. For this they willingly are ignorant of, and by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. There's the flood. I'd never picked up on that before until I was studying this. Peter mentions creation. He, rem- he mentions the flood. Whereby the world by then was being overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition, the ungodly men. Do you think Peter knew that he was talking about the three mother letters? Probably. He was a Hebrew. By the way, Shin, that letter, is good if it's found in the middle of the word, like Moshe. It's a good word. But if that letter Shin or sin, shin, is found at the beginning or the end, it means destruction. It's a bad thing. It holds true, is the way I understand. Again, that comes from my studying. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Um, I want to look at this letter yet. This is the letter He. And this is the fifth letter. I don't know if you can see it. It's the, it's the fifth letter. It's the letter hey. This letter is a part of Jehovah. It is Jehovah is spelled yut hey va hey. And literally, what it is is yut. I I gave you that letter. Hey is the one that I just showed you. And then va I didn't show you. Uh, that is letter number six, which is man. And then another another uh, hey. There was a group of people. In Egypt that were life was being forced out of them they cried out to God and Exodus 11 5 says and all the first God said all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die so this group of people was in Egypt and life was being pressed out of them they called upon God and God said the firstborn needs to die Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in Unto your houses to smite you. God told the children of Israel, kill a Passover lamb, take the blood, and put it on the lintel and on the doorpost. If the death angel comes over top of a house or a dwelling, wouldn't a better place be the top of the roof? Wouldn't a better place to apply the blood to the top of the roof? That way, the death angel can for sure see it. Or what about on the path leading up to the door? Or maybe there was a doorstep. He said on the lintel and on the doorpost. Do you think the Hebrews saw grace written all over it? I think they did. Number five, he. I think the children of Israel saw grace written all over their um, activity or what they were, the instructions. The letter he, it's a breath of life. It is grace. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Can you imagine how important it was for the eldest son to have that blood applied? He may have been there and say, be generous with it. Are you sure this is enough? Dad, put it on heavy. The family went inside safe and secure, grace enough. Life is in the blood. We need blood to live physically, but we need the blood applied to live spiritually. Is the blood applied to the door of our heart? By grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God. Number five is found numerous times in the Bible, and I encourage you in fact, I just want to whet your appetite it's, it's endless what we can find in the scriptures. David chose five stones. I know Goliath may have had four brothers, and when we came through the lesson just the other Sunday a few Sundays ago we came through that lesson, David and Goliath, and I thought to myself, David had a sling, and it says he had a bag. I'm wondering if he didn't have stones in that bag before he stopped at the brook and picked up five stones. What good is the sling without a stone? Don't you think, when he was traveling, I I, I actually think he he did. I think he had stones in his bag before he stopped and picked up five smooth stones. Grace. Grace, enough. My grace is sufficient for thee. Who is Saul? We were giving Saul a hard time this morning in class. Saul was a Benjamite. He was a head taller than anyone else in Israel. Is that correct? Do we understand? Goliath was a giant, right? So, Saul was a Benjamite. He was a head taller than everyone. Do you know what the Bible says about Benjamites? They were left-handed slingshot sharpshooters, right? That's who they were. Maybe Saul's ancestors were that. I don't know if Saul was that or not. But who should have been fighting Goliath? And think about the humor that God used. This little, it says ruddy. I don't know. I think he was baby-faced David, comes and God says, you know what? We're going to use a slingshot and show Saul how it's done. I don't know. Maybe. I think God made a statement. David was sunburned, baby-faced, young man, unskilled in war, and God had him fight Goliath. One other thing I picked up, the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. I had not picked up on that. 40 days, 40 is testing, trial. The children of Israel were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was on the fast of 40 days. Moses was on the mountain 40, 40 days and 40 nights. Um, numerous 40. It's it, it means testing. It means trial. It means... Uh, tempting as well. But the Philist, Goliath came out 40 days before David shows up. And I don't know if David knew this, but whoever penned it obviously brought this in. Goliath's time was up. He had no choice but to go. The time was up. That's the way I understand it. How did David win? He didn't win by himself. He didn't win by those five stones. He didn't win by the slingshot. He won by the grace of God. He was used by the Lord. David was in the will of God by the power of God. David tapped into that grace, and you understand grace is literally that, power of God to do the will of God. How do we win the Lord's battle? By being filled with the spirit and allowing his grace to meet our need. Grace enough to face tomorrow. Grace enough to see me through. Paul writes in Ephesians, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, and that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. Colossians, For in him... Dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Think with me: Jesus was here on earth, and this is how it describes Jesus: In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does that? I read across that verse. It's a very short verse, and keep going. What does that mean? The fullness of the Godhead bodily. All of God was contained in the body of Jesus right there. What is God? Us Westerners like to describe with words, but God is all wisdom. He is all power. He is all love. He is all compassion. He is all truth. He is all glory. All of that was contained in Jesus But the verse that i read to you that christ may dwell in your hearts and that ye might be filled with the fullness of god that same fullness that was in jesus is available to be in us as well the fullness of the godhead bodily that ye might be filled with the fullness of god we are without excuse we have all that we need to be in victory the Spirit of God within us, grace enough for every day. My desire would be that we, that you all, would superabound, that you would do exceedingly greatly, that you would prosper to the extreme, and even much more than that, as you walk with God every day, there are treasures new and old in the scripture, in the word of God. They are fresh again and again. My desire was to whet your appetite to search for those treasures that are in the, that are in the word of God. Those treasures new, those treasures old. Could it be said, the people in Virginia They sold all that they had. They liquidated everything because they found a treasure and they're pursuing after it and allowing to be filled or being filled with the spirit of God. And all the local people were astonished and said, where did they get this wisdom and where does this mighty work come from? May God be glorified in our lives.